So here, this will make you feel old. That video, 24 years old. I remember when that was new. <laughs> um, we're talking about fear this morning. We're continuing our, our series on doubt. Uh, we talked last week about Thomas and, uh, and his doubt and the origins of that doubt and what we do with our doubt. Uh, we're going to continue this morning uh, talking about Peter and his doubt, talking about Peter the distressed. And we'll be in Matthew chapter 14, uh, 22 through 33. And if you want to turn there, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but fear is the result of doubt. Fear is one of those things that's a universal human emotion, and it has a purpose. I'm trying to get there, my iPod, my iPad is goofing up. Technology, my Bible never crashed on me. No, I've got it. Thank you. So this, we have this innate fear. It's part of our DNA. It's it's ingrained in us. Uh, there's a number of fears, and so here's a. We're going to test not your Greek or Hebrew this morning. We'll test your Latin and see uh, if you know what these fears are. Pelodophobia. Any guesses? Robert, you should know this one. The fear of baldness or bald people. <laughs> uh, aerophobia. It's got air in it. It's actually the fear of drafts. Drafts like a drafty window or door. Um, Peripophobia. Fear of the color purple. That's odd. Catophobia. Uh, the fear of hairy people. I don't know if I'm afraid of them. But levophobia. The fear of things on the left side of your body. As opposed to dextrophobia, the fear of things on the right side of your body. Just because your spouse is not on the right or left side of your body does not mean you have that fear. Uh, Aurorophobia, guess on that one? Alaska? Fear of the northern lights? Yeah? Uh, Caliprophobia, the fear of obscure meanings. Um, Philosophobia, hope none of you had that. It's the fear of being seated. Stabus basophobia, the fear of standing or walking. Odontophobia, somebody's got to get this one, right? The, the fear of teeth, actually, but yeah, by extension, the fear of dentist. Uh, graphophobia, I didn't know this was a thing. The fear, what? The fear of writing in public. Uh, phobophobia. Fear of fear, yeah. Um, there are a lot of things that people are afraid of. And like I said, fear is, is part of who we are. I, I read, and, and I can't recommend it. Let me step out of the pulpit. I read a book recently called World War Z. Um, it's not a theology book. It's actually a, it's, it's actually a very well done um, social commentary on what, you know, what's wrong with the world. And, and, and sprinkle in some zombies in there for, for uh, excitement. Uh, but it, it's nothing like the movie, and it's actually a very interesting, uh, very interesting book. Um, the author addressed the Naval War College about it, so that's, that says something about the legitimacy of, uh, of, his, uh, of his book. But he talks about fear, and there's a quote in the book about fear, and he, um, one of the guys who kind of capitalized on uh, the whole zombie thing um, more than, I guess, the author did. Uh, but he, he, the, one of the characters who made some money in the, the zombie war, and he said... The only rule that ever made sense to me, I learned from a history, not an economics professor at Wharton. Fear, he used to say, fear is the most valuable commodity in the universe. That blew me away. Turn on the TV, he'd say. What are you seeing? People selling their products? No, people selling the fear of you having to live without their products. Fear of aging, fear of loneliness, fear of poverty, fear of, fear of failure. Fear is the most basic emotion we have. Fear is primal. Fear sells. We're all afraid of something, and, and there's, there's a purpose for that fear. Another book that I'm, I'm currently reading is called Wired for Life, How to Retrain Your Brain, and, and using it for my, uh, for my dissertation um, 
by uh, Susan Pierce, and she, their, their take is that psychologically the brain is a survival tool. Again, not a theology book, but there's some value, uh, there's some science in it. Uh, the brain is a survival tool, and it, it functions to keep us alive. And the most effective method the brain uses is, is threat and reward. Move away from threat, move toward reward. You know, we, we identify threats, and we run away from them. That keeps us alive, right? Um, the amygdala is the, that part of our brain that, that uh, yeah, we're, we'll be there a second. is that part of the brain that, uh, that controls that fight or flight. Uh, and the reality is that most of us don't live day to day in fear of our lives from saber tooth tiger or whatever. Uh, we're, not, we're, not going, we're not facing death continuously. Uh, but the reality is our brain is still wired for avoiding danger. And so it still works that avoiding fear, avoiding threat works in social and work situations as well. And in the book, they, uh, they basically... Uh, come up with these five fears, um, and, and they are, it's on the screen, uh, fear of failure, um, and that is a, a fear of being vulnerable or being rejected or weak, uh, because that, that's, as we looked at last week, that's the, the, the baby um, wildebeest that gets taken out by the lion, the weak and rejected, that's not with the herd. Uh, the fear of losing control. Um, if, if anybody remembers the movie, um, The Croods, the, that was the dad's fear, was things will be different, and we don't know what different looks like, and different could be dangerous, so we'll stay with safe. The fear of losing control, uh, the fear of standing out, of uh, you know, making yourself a target, uh, being the tallest guy in a group, you know, being uh, you know, the, the one that is, is singled out, or you know, in Vietnam, wearing, wearing rank uh, makes you a target. Because they take out the officers first. Uh, that's, that's the fear of rejection, the fear of having to fend for yourself, being denied the whole safety in numbers piece. Uh, the fear of missing out. This is a very real fear for a lot of people. Uh, the fear of missing out. And, and I, I get this. That's why I say it's very real. Very real for me. When somebody gets a good deal that I don't get and I get upset. Um, that there's scarcity, there's not enough to go around, and, and I have to get mine. Somebody else got some, so that's, there's not enough for me. Um, not having enough resources to survive. And the fear of facing the truth, of taking responsibility of, and being rejected because you've done something wrong um, and makes you vulnerable. The, uh, in this book, they talk about the concept of neuroplasticity, which to me, interestingly, ties to Romans 12.2, renew your mind, uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This idea of neuroplasticity means that what you focus on strengthens those, those pathways in your brain, and that tends to be the things you see. So if you tend to focus on negatives, you're going to see negatives. If you train your brain to see positives, you will more readily go towards positives. And our brain, as, as it is, it more readily picks out threats. And so we tend to focus on the negative things, on the threats, on the, the, uh, the things that are going to kill us or the things that are, are going to be harmful. So we have to make a conscious effort to turn away from those threats, to, to avoid that, uh, those negative thoughts, and to find the positive, to have a positive outlook. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, about Peter and the storm. Con you know, con coincidentally, we are talking about a storm this morning. There's a storm that made landfall in Florida. If you have loved ones, I'm sure you are well aware of that. Um, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, we're talking about Peter, Peter the distressed. So if you, if you turn there, um, if you have your Bible turn there, if, uh, if not, the words will be on the screen. So beginning at Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, immediately Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. He just fed the 5,000. That's, that's the context here. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to, by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when, he, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! 
and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So the first thing that we want to note in this series about doubt is that doubt, in this case, comes from a wrong perspective. The first blank there is is perspective. Jesus, in verse 22, it says, Jesus told them, and the word that's used, it says, Jesus compelled them. He made the disciples get in a boat. Why would that be important? Because these were fishermen. They knew when it was a good time to be on the water and when it was not. And a little foreshadowing, this was not a good time to be on the water. Jesus had to order them to get in the boat and put out to sea. And there, you know, unlike our prediction models, Brandy and I have the struggle all the time of, of which wind model do we follow because none of them are right when we're sailing. And we just, it may, may not be that bad, so we'll just go is what it ends up being. And then, you know, this, as we follow Irma and she's just dancing all over the place. None of the models have been, they've been inconsistent. So even with our technology, um, we can't predict the weather, but these guys were able to look and say, now's not a good time. Now's not a good time to be out in the boat. Um, they were professionals. They knew when was the best time. And, you know, and they may have said to themselves, you know, Jesus told us to come out here. You know, he may be able to do miracles and feed these 5,000 people like he just did again. This was the second time Jesus had done that. They'd seen it a couple times. Last time, I believe it was right before uh, the storm that they were in last time. Uh, they went into the boat after they fed the people. Um, and uh, th- you know, Jesus may be able to, he may be smart on some things, but he doesn't know anything about boats. We should not be out here. Um, it, it goes on to say, after, after they obeyed, okay, whatever you say, Jesus, uh, in verse 26, um, well, in, when evening came, verse 23, uh, by... When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way off. And one of the other passages in, uh, in John 6, it says they were three or four miles away. So they had been rowing against the waves and against the wind for three or four miles. It had been a long time. Uh, they were a long way off. Uh, they'd been beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, so between 3 and 6 a.m., all night they'd been out there. Because I went in the evening, uh, Jesus came to them, verse 25, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They were terrified. Of course they were. The word that's used, the Greek word that's used, they're terrified. Uh, again, the, the original languages are so rich because you get a depth of what is being said. Uh, the word terrified means they were troubled, distressed, stirred. It says their, their thoughts were confused. They were so scared they couldn't think straight. They were just like, we are going to die. We, we don't know what's going on. And there's a person walking on the water. It must be a ghost. They didn't recognize it as Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, that makes sense. There's a ghost. I mean, it's more reasonable, I guess, than a person walking on the water. They'd been battered all night. Nobody slept. They were exhausted. They were anxious. They can't see the shore. They don't have compasses. They don't have charts. They didn't have GPS. They didn't... They, all they knew was they were being beaten up, and they didn't know if they were going to make it to shore, if they were going to make it through the night. They were just praying for daylight. They'd been rowing three or four miles. Uh, it says the wind and the seas were against them. They were terrified. They, were, they, they had done everything they could do as professional sailors to try to endure this, and it was not getting better. It was, it was just a bad night to be on the lake. You may think it's a lake, no big deal, but... If you've seen the Sea of Galilee, it's, you can't see shore to shore. It's a big body of water. It's a significant body of water, and boats are lost in there. You know, the, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the Gordon Lightfoot song, that's a lake. 
that you know sunk this ship. Um, little little dated reference there, but uh, so the, the wind was against them. They were they were going into the wind and seas because Jesus. I mean, why would they go there first of all? Obviously, the, the lake didn't want them to go against the wind and seas. It wanted them to go back where they came from. But Jesus told them to cross the lake. And so they were, yes, Jesus, crossing the lake. Uh, reminds me of our trip back from Mexico, the, uh, the Baja Bash, it's called, because it's against the wind and against the seas. And we're motoring into it. And we've got both engines on, and, you know, full bore, and we're making, you know, two knots. Or at one point, we were making one knot, and we said, we can't do this. We, ha- we have to stop. We have to find somewhere to stop. And we stayed for, you know, three, four, five days until we could continue on. But they're there with oars trying to fight this, you know, just killing themselves. They, uh, they were, we were, it was rough. We were wet. We were, you know, sick. We were tired from having to be constantly braced because you can't just relax. You've got to hold on to yourself. Brandy said, we're, we're, uh, and I think she's serious, she's going to install a seatbelt on our helm seat so we don't fall out of the, the seat where we're driving the boat. So this is what they've been dealing with. They were terrified. They, they couldn't think straight. There's accounts, uh, remember the, the tsunami in 2004 in Indonesia uh, caused by the earthquake, uh, the tsunami that hit, uh, hit uh, Thailand. Uh, there were accounts during that event of people standing, staring at this wall of water coming at them, just standing there. And, and I watched a video, just a guy just standing there, and the wave just took him out. And, and you wonder, what are they thinking? They're thinking a lot of things. They're terrified. The brain, as a, as a uh, survival tool, is overwhelmed by the information that's coming at them. And, and it's just, okay, stop. We just need to take a break, all stop, and figure out what's going on here, decide on a plan of action, and, and just freeze. So they froze, and, and of course, it's fatal. Um, but that's what, that's what we do. We're terrified. You know, our brains, our, our thoughts are scrambled. We can't think straight, and, and we make bad decisions when we're tired and when we're overwhelmed like that. Um, they didn't recognize Jesus in the fog of terror. They said, it's a ghost. You know, even though they knew Jesus, how much more, how much less can we expect the world who doesn't know Jesus to recognize him in the fog of their terror? You know, they're thinking they just need a bigger boat or they, they need, a, you know, daylight or something else. They don't, they don't know they need Jesus. So they, they have a wrong perspective. They, all they are seeing is the waves and the wind and the water on deck and, you know, and their exhaustion and their... You know, their, their fear, that's all they can see. But the reality is, back to verse 22, Jesus made them get in the boat. Jesus knew that the storm was coming. He's God. Jesus put them out there for a reason. Not to abandon them, not to, for anybody, anybody to die, but God ordained the trouble in their lives so that, we, so that Peter could learn a lesson, as we'll see in a moment. But God puts things in our lives. He disturbs our peace because we get too comfortable. We, we need him to shake up things a little bit so that we remember that he's there for us because it's easy to forget. When we're comfortable, it's easy to, to not think about God. You know, maybe we go to church on Sunday and that might be, you know, we, we don't mean anything bad. We don't mean anything um, sinful, but it's just life. We, we don't have time. And we, we, you know, it's on our calendar. We go to church on Sundays. But, but sometimes our lives get shaken up. I mean, I, I think of my family in Houston and my family in Florida. Their lives are being shaken up right now. Their whole priority, nobody went to soccer practice this week, I, I, I would bet, because they are trying to prep and they're getting out. We, we, our lives get shaken up. We, we remember what's important in those times of difficulty. God disturbs our peace. And the reality is, for the world, there, there's no good news. There's no gospel until there's bad news. People don't understand their need for a Savior until they need a Savior, until they realize that they can't do it, that there's nothing they can do to get them through the trial that they're in. Until we realize that we've sinned and that, and that that sin has condemned us to an eternity of suffering, We'll never need a Savior. Jesus 
We'll never need Jesus. We'll never need, we'll never need to understand that he is the son of God, the only perfect human being to ever live, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross so that my sin, so that your sin could be forgiven and dealt with and so that we would not be condemned to that eternity apart from Christ to pay our debt if only we will accept that gift. We'll never seek God on our own until he shows us that we have a need. So there's no good news until there's bad news. The disciples were dealing with some bad news right here. They were honestly fearing that they might die. The difference between the disciples and Jesus in this situation was a matter of perspective. Jesus saw beyond the reality. Jesus knew nothing was going to happen to him. That God had already promised them that nothing, promised Jesus that that he would lose none of his disciples. He knew they were going to be safe. They may be a little scared, but they were going to be fine. Jesus also knew, as and it says in in. Uh, John chapter 6, this uh, a parallel account, that as soon as they got back in the boat, they reached the other side. You know, that's like the story of the mountain climber who uh, fell off a mountain, and, you know, he was belayed, you know, he was on, on a rope, and he fell and fell and fell, and he, he was able to catch himself, and, uh, and he was hanging at the end of this rope, yelling and screaming and, you know, calling for help, and, uh, and nobody could hear him, nobody knew, and, and somebody eventually came along after he had died, uh, and he was about five feet off the ground. But he couldn't see. He couldn't see below him. He was hanging there at the end of this rope. All he needed to do was cut himself loose, and he'd have been fine. But he couldn't see beyond. He had fallen all this far. couldn't see beyond that to know that he was close to, to salvation. Jesus knew where they were. He knew that they were close to shore, that they were safe. They wouldn't be it wouldn't be harmed. Peter, the disciples, were short-sighted. All they saw, all they understood, all they could perceive, no, not necessarily any fault against them, literally all they could see was the waves. They couldn't even see Jesus at first. You know, you got these waves coming up and waves going down. Jesus is disappearing on those waves. Is that Jesus? I don't know. I caught a glimpse of somebody, something out there. Our perspective when we get in these times of trial and difficulty is waves, waves and wind and water. You know, water's in the boat. Water's in our lungs. We'll see Peter in a moment. Jesus' perspective is that God's in control, not only of the wind and the waves, but God's in control of the entire universe. God is a loving father who cares for his children. So doubt is that fear, one of the doubts that I have, the fears that I have, is that I won't be worthy of God's saving. You know, maybe, maybe this is God, God punishing me for something that I've done, this situation that I've gotten myself into, the consequences of my sin. You know, maybe this is, maybe God's not going to rescue me this time. Um, but that's a, that's a bad perspective. That's... That's not the way God works. He doesn't punish us to get even with us. He punishes us. He disciplines us to teach us. To teach us that, you know, we've got a wrong perspective, that we, we have a, a different idea of how God works. He won't allow me to be harmed. He won't allow you to be harmed beyond that which teaches you, which accomplishes his purpose and glorifies him. So in the middle of our struggle, when all we see is the danger, Jesus is there. Because they cried out, and Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. Don't be afraid. So faith carries us through when we can't see Jesus. Faith is the, the uh, evidence of things unseen. Difficulties that God sees us through, challenges that we endure are training opportunities. Brennan and I talk a lot about training opportunities, the, the, the difficulties that we go through sailing. Is, hey, next time this comes up, it's going to be no big deal, like fog on our last trip. Insane. But not that fog is never a, a big deal, but it's a training opportunity. It's, it's learning to trust God's love and protection and his salvation. 
So the second thing we see is doubt comes from not seeing things God's way, but fear comes when we put our trust in the wrong place. Fear comes from misplaced worship is the, the next blank on your outline, number two. Look at verses 28 to 30. So Peter answered him. After Jesus, they saw Jesus, Jesus said, don't be afraid, take heart, it's me. Uh, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So what do I mean when I say fear is misplaced worship? Worship is, any, is something that we ascribe worth to. A person or a thing that we put our trust in. That we put our faith in. Something that is valuable, something that is important to us. Uh, in a general sense, is worship. These were experienced fishermen. They trusted their experience. They trusted their equipment. In a general, not religious sense, they worshipped their, their stuff. Um, they trusted it. They believed that that would be the thing that got them across the lake. Again, it says Jesus compelled them to get in the boat. He expected that they would use a boat. Jesus didn't tell them, walk across the lake, I'll meet you on the other side. He said, use a boat. It's there. That's what it's for. It's not sinful to use the means that God provides, but um, we have to guard against forgetting that it is God who provides those means. When God prospers us, it's easy to forget it's, it's difficult sometimes to remember that God made me, God blessed me. God made me wealthy. And in this room, 99.9% .9 of us are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. God has blessed us. And it's not, that's not sinful to be blessed. But it's sinful to forget that it is God that has blessed us. And that is a very real danger. Peter, in this case, um, trusted his, uh, in himself. He had a little faith. Jesus, Jesus says in, in verse uh, 31, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? So he had a little faith, uh, but Peter was a very strong personality. He, he was self-confident. He, uh, he, he was a leader. He was a born leader. Uh, he is establishing himself as a leader of the disciples, kind of by default, he, he's the one who kept stepping up and saying, let's do this, let's do that. Um, he was impulsive. He didn't always think before he opened his mouth or, say, stepped out of a boat. Um, imagine if Peter had a Twitter account. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Trump is on the level of Peter, but I imagine Peter would behave on Twitter a lot like some other notable people. Um, he just says whatever comes to his mind. And, uh, and he's, very, he's, not, he's not afraid to do it. Uh, and that's who Peter is. Um, the, the Greek tragedy, there's a specific aspect of Greek tragedy uh, as a, a, a play or, or um, genre uh, of, called hamartia. It means missing the mark. And it's generally the hero has a strength that becomes his downfall. You know, hamartia may be a word that's familiar to you. That's the word that we use in the church, in the Bible, for sin, missing the mark. So the strength of Peter, his strong personality, and his, you know, his courage even, becomes his downfall. Peter, uh, it will see in a couple chapters, uh, if, if you read on the account uh, in Matthew, uh, Peter confesses Christ. Who do the people say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus praises him and says, you're absolutely right. God has shown you this. God has given you the gift of that insight. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Now, there's some theological discussion on what that means especially if you're Protestant or Catholic. Uh, but Peter, it's no coincidence, is 
similar to the word for rock, Petra. Um, so Peter, I think Jesus was actually making a play, you know, on the word, uh, saying, you are going to lead my church. You're going to lead this movement of, of Christianity. It wasn't called that yet, but it would be. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome to be given that. Um, but the danger with any success, the danger with any blessing is that it becomes pride. So Peter's gifts and abilities became a stumbling stone that, uh, because it'll, it, it shifted his focus from Jesus to himself. In this case, Peter says, if it's you, let me come out to you. Let me, let me, come, let, let me walk on the water to you. Um, Jesus didn't tell Peter to walk on the water to him. Jesus was like, all right, let's play this game. Let's see how this goes. Uh, He could make Peter walk on the water. He did for a minute. But Peter needed to learn something about himself. Sure, he stepped out in faith, but it was faith plus confidence in himself and his confidence in his faith. You know, my faith. You know, he, he lost sight of the fact that it was God who'd given him the faith. He focused on the gift rather than the giver. Um, in, in the account where Peter confesses Christ, Jesus as the Christ, immediately after that, Jesus says, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's like, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. I'm the leader. We're, we're going we're to keep that from happening. And what does Jesus say to Peter? I've just called you the rock. Now I'm calling you Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in mind, not the things of God. And we see further on Peter still. In Galatians, Paul calls Peter out and says, Peter is being a hypocrite because he's, he's uh, siding with those, the Judaizers, saying that you have to have faith and you have to kind of keep some of the law. And Paul's like, no, you're afraid of people. You're afraid of the 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 prominent Jews of the, the, the influential people in town, and you're kind of, you're wishy-washy. You're being a hypocrite. So Peter was still, even though he became, he became the leader, I mean, he 5,000 people got saved at a sermon. I, I've never had that happen. So Peter had some success, but with that success came the, the danger of trusting in himself, of worshiping himself of trusting in his own abilities and his own, um, in his own gifting and his own strengths. Peter said, I believe, therefore I can do this, vice, I believe that God can do this. It's, it's nuanced, but the, the, the object of that belief is me or it's God. And in this case, with the walking on the water, the object of Peter's faith was himself. I and the leader of this group, I'm going to show them how to be faithful, how to trust God. You know, I'm, I got to be, I got to be courageous for these guys because they're all terrified. So I'm going to walk out on the water to Jesus. Probably well intentioned. I mean, it might not have been all about, hey, look at me. It might have been, honestly, you know, I, I need to take care of these guys. I need to help them out to to give them courage like I have. He he is initially demonstrated great faith. He stepped out of a boat into the crashing waters, into the seas and the wind. His only source of, of salvation was that boat. You know, the number one rule in sailing is stay on the boat. You know, we have a bunch of equipment, a bunch of safety equipment that we don't ever want to use. We have life jackets that we never want to use. Stay on the boat. Wear them, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to use them uh, as in deploy them. We wear them in the hopes that we never need them. Stay on the boat. Peter stepped off the boat. He had little faith, but what did the other 11 have? They, were, they had no faith. So again, doubt was the, the wavering between two opinions. So Peter, I imagine, immediately began to have doubts. As soon as he let go of that boat, th- this was a bad idea. I've made an enormous mistake, right? Okay, here we are out here. Um, again, not seeing Jesus... The waves are there. He stepped, he stepped out of the boat. Maybe he's probably a little higher off the water, able to see a little further. Now he's down in the water. He's, you know, he's five, six feet off the water. 
and the waves are, are huge, and he, all he can see is waves. He can't see Jesus anymore. Maybe he even loses sight of the boat. You know, where, where's Jesus? Is Jesus on the boat? Did I miss him? Did we pass each other in a, in a wave? And, and, and I'm out here, and oh, by the way, he's starting to sink, it says. Um, and and, and it, it sounds very, you know, the hem of his robe was beginning to get wet. No, the word that, that is used there, he's beginning to sink. He, it's literally, he was beginning to drown. It wasn't just up to his ankles. It was in his face. He was, he was aspirating water. He was beginning to drown, and he was terrified. He was desperate. He, he had lost all hope. He was fearing death. He was actively drowning. And, uh, and the word said that he was, uh, he was afraid, and uh, verse 30, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. The word cried out is kradzo where we get our word crazy. He was going crazy, calling out to Jesus. He was so terrified. He had no hope. He was screaming. He was shouting. He was panicking. Not like, oh, Jesus, a uh, little help. No, he was desperate. Crazy crying out to Jesus. That's called prayer. I have no hope other than that Jesus do this. If we lack prayer in our lives, it's because we're not trusting Jesus. It's because we're trusting something else. We're trusting those blessings that he's given us. I did a lot of trust this week in my software as I prepared this message. I caught myself and said, I need to pray more. This isn't about me doing a an academic exercise and, and coming up with some stuff from the Bible to entertain you for, you know, 20 minutes on a Sunday. This is about trusting Jesus to give what we need. So I confess my lack of prayer daily. I don't pray as much as I should. And I don't pray because I don't trust Jesus as much as I should. I'm trusting myself. So I'm right there with Peter. Peter prayed. He cried crazy out to the Lord. And in the middle of that, verse 31, Jesus immediately, without delay, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. In the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of his misworship, false worship of himself, came to the point of realizing that he couldn't do this. That's all I was waiting for. Jesus just said, boom, I'm right here. Oh, by the way, I was right behind you the whole time. Gotcha. God's faithful, even when we're not. Remember, Jesus didn't call Peter out there to him. He allowed Peter to come to him as a teachable moment. The things that Peter trusted failed him, but Jesus didn't. And I do find it interesting in verse 27 when Jesus says, when, when they're, they're terrified, they were kratzo, crying out in fear. Jesus said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The Greek word, the Greek phrase that's used there, it is I, is the same as the Septuagint when Moses heard from the burning bush, I am. Jesus said, I am. And that's a, that's a, that's a messianic, that's a, a divine statement. I am right here. And it, it's, a, it's an indefinite phrase. It means I am, I was, I will be forever. I am here. I am there. I am what you need. I am. I'm everything. We should take courage from that because Jesus is, God is, he's real. And all these people who say pray for Florida and and people that come back and say, prayer doesn't do anything, you know, may as well, you know, sacrifice a chicken or something and, and demean us for our faith. I, I, I feel sorry for them because they have nothing to, to turn to. They have no, nothing to cling to. So fear comes from, from worshiping the wrong thing. The third point, last point, Fearing God is right worship. Verse 33, 
those in the boat, when they got into the boat, verse 32, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. If you remember the last time they were in a boat and Jesus showed up, or actually Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they were freaking out, and Jesus said, peace be still, and they said, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. In this case, they said, this is the Son of God. They worshipped him. They realized. They learned from the last time. Okay, this guy's legit. He's, he's doing something a little different. He's, he's, the winds and waves are obeying him. And now they said, this man is God. Truly you are the Son of God. Their response was to fear God and to worship God. This word fear, phobos, which we learned from the beginning, the fear of fear, phobophobia. It means fear, obviously, but it also means reverence and awe. And we get confused when we talk, you know, talk about fearing God, but perfect love casts out all fear, right? Why should we fear God? Well, the reality is fear of God started in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, they ate of the fruit, they sinned, and all of a sudden they didn't have fellowship with God anymore. They had fear of God. They feared God. They phobosed God. They, they really did reverence him. They understood that he had the power of life and death in, their, in his hands. On my, uh, my first ship as an ensign, reporting aboard, I kind of, I thought I knew something. But I, I'm checking in, and I, I go and check in with the ops officer. And uh, he says, who are you? I said, I'm Ensign Kelly. I know you're a GD ensign. What's your name? Dennis. I'm like, okay, this guy's cool. He wants to, you know, first name basis. I mean, commander to ensign. Dennis, blah, blah, blah. And so I called him, I think it's Bernard or something, his first name. That was not okay. I didn't fear ops as I should have. You know, Ops had the power of life and death in his hands for a, a new undesignated service warfare officer. Um, I did not properly reverence and awe the operations officer as I should have. Um, I made the mistake of treating him as a peer. We make the mistake of treating God as a peer. I'm a friend of God, yes. I, I don't have a problem with that. But I don't talk to God. I don't approach God casually. I shouldn't. I approach the throne of grace confidently, as it says in Hebrews, but not because I'm some, you know, something worthy. It's because of the blood of Christ that I can approach the throne of grace confidently. We don't dare be casual about who God is. Uh, the other, an interesting place that this word phobos shows up is wives... Phobos, your husbands. We don't, we're, we're not called, ladies, you're not called to fear your husbands. Respect your husbands. That's the way we translate that. It, it means the same thing, but it's, it's a sense of great respect. We fear God. We respect God. Perfect, as I said, perfect love casts out all fear, but... Maybe someday when we're perfect, we can love God perfectly. Until then, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We begin to understand who God is. Romans eleven twenty says, don't become proud, but fear God. Don't become proud of all that God has given you, of all that God has blessed you with, of the gift of salvation that he's given you. Fear God. Philippians 2 12 and 13 says we are to work, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. When we realize that the God of the universe has every right, not only the right, but the ability to vaporize us right now, or worse yet, to condemn us to an eternity of hell, he is right, has every right to do that. That should cause us to really understand the depth 
of what he's done for us. What we deserve versus what we get. We should fear, as it says in, in 1 Peter uh, 1, 13, 17, it says why we should fear God. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things that, such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We are to conduct ourselves with fear. We should be afraid of taking so great a salvation for granted that cost God so much, afraid of showing contempt for a God. To do so is, is to neglect, to forget how great this gift of salvation is, to forget the preciousness of Christ's shed blood. To show contempt for God is to cease to feel the importance of giving worth-ship to God, which is where the word comes from, worth-ship. We give worth to God. Worshiping God isn't just coming to church on Sunday. That's part of it. It's not singing songs. It's, it's not just singing some songs. It's not praying a little. It's not listening to the preacher drone on. It's putting aside everything else that's competing for our attention, that's demanding our time. It's saying that going to church, singing, praying, fellowshipping, learning more, reading the Bible is more important than anything else in our lives. It's expressing God's worth by turning off the TV, turning off social media, putting away the books, getting out of bed to spend time in the Word. It's expressing God's worth by not being afraid to tell our friends and neighbors and coworkers about who Jesus is. Expressing God's worth is giving our time and service to, the, to God. It's using our gifts for the kingdom. It's supporting the work with the abundance that he's given us. Worshiping God is showing fear, respect, and awe for the one who loved us so much that he gave his one and only son so that we might have eternal life. So what are you afraid of? If the waves of life are beginning to drown you, or maybe you're already underwater, what are you focusing on? That which is against you or the one who's for you? Somebody put it this way. said, a wise bird knows that a scarecrow is simply an advertisement. It announces that some very juicy and delicious fruit is to be had for the picking. There are scarecrows in all the best gardens. If I'm wise, I too shall treat that scarecrow as though it were an invitation. Every giant in the way that makes me feel like a grasshopper is only a scarecrow beckoning me to God's richest blessings. Faith is a bird which loves to perch on scarecrows. All our fears are groundless. So we are to fear God. How's your worship? Are you sensing God's presence in the singing and prayer and your time in the word? If not, what, what are you giving your priority to? What are you giving your attention to? Where are you putting your faith and your trust? What are you worshiping? Where are you spending your time? What are you drowning in? What's distressing you? All Jesus is waiting is for us, like Peter, to cry out, crazy in desperation, who's near at hand and waiting to save us, just reaching out when we cry out to him. If you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, what it means to cry out to Jesus, if you've never 
put your trust in Jesus? We can talk to you about that. How can you have peace and comfort and confidence in the middle of the storm that you're in, which no doubt you're in, because God put it there for the purpose of your salvation. So as we stand, I invite you, if, if you want to come forward and talk to me or, um, or Rachel um, or Ryan, they'll be up front here. We can pray with you. We can talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, whether you're a believer or you've never made that decision. I invite you to come forward as we stand and pray. Father, thank you that we don't have to be afraid. Thank you that we can trust you, that even though at this moment we, we may be drowning, we may be staring at waves taller than houses, there may be a literal or a figurative storm bearing down on us, and we have no hope. God, we have hope in you. We can trust you because you're right there with us waiting for us to ask you for help, to cry out to you in desperation, saying, God, I have no means in myself. I have no ability. I have no more strength. I can't swim anymore. Help me. God, help us. Help us to trust you. Help us to call on you. And help us to not take for granted such a great salvation. Thank you for sending your son to walk on the water, to pull us out of the waves and the wind and the seas and carry us to the safety of shore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.